automation and robotics are done the right way. They're not eliminating jobs, they're allowing the enterprise to grow, and they're eliminating a lot of jobs that, not jobs, but roles or, or duties within the facility that can be unsafe, that can be monotonous, that, that aren't really that highly sought after. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Jeff Frankie. He's the Director of Content and Audience Engagement at Industrial Media and the co-host of Today in Manufacturing and the Security Breach Podcast. With over 20 years of experience in creating and managing strategic content in the B2B marketplace, he has served audiences in the automotive, manufacturing, medical, and product development industries. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me, Todd. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get a little bit of your, your backstory. Uh, how'd you get into the world of, of manufacturing? Well, I'd, I'd like to say there's some real dramatic calling that I felt, but the, honestly, it was a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> Working in, uh, working in media, you know, there's opportunities to grow and, and elevate. And I was actually working um, for a, a company where I was focused on the automotive aftermarket, which was awesome. Uh, I've always uh, loved cars and tools and stuff like that. And it was uh, definitely, it was a great fit personally. And had an opportunity to sort of grow and, and manage a couple of different brands in the manufacturing sector. That was about 20 years ago. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been an amazing industry to be a part of was something that allowed me to maybe bond with my dad a little bit more. He was a tool and die maker for about 40 years. So definitely something that was always very close to our family and part of our natural conversation, I guess you could say. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been a great experience and looking forward to continuing to be a part of, you know, what I always felt is such an important industry. So, yeah, I love it. And those happy accidents are a okay. That's <laughs> I, I stumbled yeah. my way into the, the construction technology space and haven't looked back. So uh, I Excellent. think happy accidents are you put you where you're meant to be for sure. There you go. Well, let's dive into some of the, the issues facing manufacturing. So you know, like the construction industry, the, the labor shortages is really pressing in on on manufacturing. Can you shed some light on the magnitude of the problem? Why it's so concerning? And then what are some kind of primary factors leading to this growing labor gap in manufacturing? Yeah, you know, it's been, it's interesting. I mean, the skills gap concerns have been going on in the trades for a while. Uh, manufacturing is a big part of that, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, as far as leading to the issue, it's, it's been sort of this disillusionment with manufacturing as a career path, which is really unfortunate because in, in a lot of cases, it takes into a lot of factors that just aren't accurate. Manufacturing factories aren't these dungy, poorly paying, dirty jobs that people maybe have a, a bad con preconception of. I mean, there's so much technology that's going on. There's so much opportunity for growth and personal development within the industrial sector that it's unfortunate that some of these stereotypes have sort of withheld some really promising talent from seeking it out. And I think that's permeated into high schools and, and tech schools and other places as well. Whereas opposed to looking at manufacturing and those types of positions as a real growth opportunity for people, they've shied away from them or maybe steered people away from entering or going down that road. And as a result, we do have a huge, significant 
um, challenge ahead of us in terms of trying to fill all these new positions within manufacturing. And a lot of these jobs do call for a real unique skill set, an advanced skill set. We need folks that understand, um, you know, baseline electronics, that understand robotics and programming and understand and are c- familiar or comfortable working with this type of technology. And again, I think there's a lot of people out there. They don't always understand or realize that these opportunities are present with, within a lot of the factories here in the U.S. And uh, I think that's the biggest challenge we have, which is also an opportunity, quite honestly, in, in getting out and sort of selling ourselves a little bit in the manufacturing sector and, and just talking about all these awesome opportunities that there are with all this new technology that's being utilized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the interesting thing there is that it's a, it's a cultural issue and phenomenon yeah. that's going on to overcome those misconceptions and those stereotypes. How does the, the manufacturing industry that, as you said, it requires a you know, very technical skill set. How does the manufacturing industry play in the, the cultural uh, mind share, if you will, to, yeah. to overcome the misconceptions and the stereotypes? Well, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I mentioned before my dad was a tool and die maker for all those years. And I think he was very happy that when he saw my siblings and I not necessarily go down that track in terms of following his his path into manufacturing, he was happy because he came from a situation where a lot of those workers, you know, were not always taken, were not taken advantage of a little bit in terms of what they were expected to do and long hours and coming in on weekends and extra shifts and all of those things. And I think that's changed, but we still have some of the former generation maybe thinking about it within that construct. Mm-hmm. And we need to change that. We need to get out in front of people and just offer them a different perspective. Get them in some of these factories that are just pristine. They're gorgeous when you walk through them and you can see how, as opposed to maybe my father's generation, employees are much more heavily involved in decisions that are made on the plant floor. They can see there's so much more visualization in terms of performance indicators and and things of that nature that really help those on the factory floor understand the big role that they play and the prominent role that they play, not just in that facility, but the enterprise. And if you want to get really, not to sound too dramatic, but but really in everything everybody experiences every day. I mean, there's nothing that's not manufactured that you use. And so much more of it now is coming from places here in the U.S., coming from workers that are getting, ideally continuing uh, to get a better wage, better benefits, more job opportunities. So it's it's breaking down some of those stereotypes which is hard, mm-hmm. but it's really just getting in front of people and showing them this isn't this isn't like it used to be. There is a new face on U.S. manufacturing, and it's all super positive. Mm-hmm. How do you peel back the the curtain there to create or give people exposure to it? Because not everybody's <clears throat> you, you can't take the the manufacturing plant to yeah. uh, on a roadshow. It's it's a stationary thing. So how do you give yeah. the exposure to people of those pristine? you know, beautiful, well-lit environments that that manufacturing facilities are now? Well, we see a lot of plants really opening up and offering tours to the public. You know, I mean, granted, maybe metalworking isn't always the most glorious thing to look at, but some of the food plants, you know, that are kind of fun to go through. People can get an appreciation then. So I think some facilities have done that. I think we've got some real champions when you look at some of the stuff that's been going on with like the first organization with robotics and getting some of the younger high school students more heavily involved. Here with some of the um, the manufacturing extension programs, the MEP programs, they kind of go from state to state. They do some really cool stuff in terms of like holding drafts, you know, so that some of these organizations that are looking for summer help or entry level workers, 
you know, they're looking through and they're holding it. It's almost like going to the NFL draft where they're saying, hey, we're picking these folks to come on board and we're excited to have them part of the team. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I think it, again, it's working not just with the general public, but with um, guidance counselors and some of these other individuals, teachers in high schools, and getting them to come into the facilities and talking to them, really being more proactive and being a bigger, playing a bigger role within the communities and understanding, look, we're not just that cement building at the end of the street. We're engaged. We're part of a bigger picture here that you guys can also be involved with. It's not an easy process. It's going to be slow going, but it's going to be worth all of that pain in the long run because not only we're going to get people in there, but we're going to get highly qualified people filling these positions, which mm-hmm. makes us more competitive globally. Mm-hmm. So to kind of paint uh, a dollar picture to this, you know, Deloitte suggests that we might see a, a shortage of over two million workers by twenty. 20- 30, which is it's not that far away. Uh, and, and that could result in an opportunity cost of a trillion dollars annually. In, in your view, what can be done now to really prevent this kind of bleak projection and, and change the, the tide? Well, and I wish I had the silver bullet, you know, if I, if I had the exact answer, you know, <laughs> you might be pocketing um, that trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but I think a lot of it is, again, being proactive. I think it manufacturing has a tendency to say, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying here, but saying, hey, we've got these job openings. Why don't you guys come aboard and check it out? It's got to be more than that. And it's also looking internally. There's a lot of individuals that have been on that plant floor and have so much organic experience that they can be trained to do different things. Because what we, we want to do is we want to embrace automation, but that shouldn't be the way to solve the skills gap. And I think that's what a lot of people see as well is sort of a misperception within the industrial sector. We're getting cobots and robots and, and more and more of these this type of technology implemented within manufacturing. We still need a lot of people when it comes to quality control, when it comes to being on there to make sure that the cobots and robots are doing the right things and doing them safely. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a combination, I think, of really taking advantage of the talent that we do have internally within these facilities, but then also being much more proactive and engaging people as they're looking at what to do in high school, what they're looking when they're coming out of tech schools and just presenting it as a very valid job path and career path, especially when would you see the increases in pay that have uh, really been stimulated over the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. So you bring up an interesting uh, argument that, that a lot of people come at when you talk about technology and stuff and that they feel that kind of threat looming that yeah. the, the tech is coming for their job or they're going to you know implement this tech and it's just to to get rid of all the the work staff uh, i don't believe that i think that's another huge misconception yeah. in, in the technology thing it's a it's a partnership there but how do you speak to those manufacturers that are looking into bring technology but also want to ease the concerns of their their workers that are doing really cool things well, and this is easy for me to say, right? Because I'm sitting here, I'm not sitting in an, uh, on a plant floor right now. But when this is done correctly, when automation and robotics are done the right way, they're not eliminating jobs, they're allowing the enterprise to grow. Mm-hmm. And they're eliminating a lot of jobs that, not jobs, but roles or, or duties within the facility that can be unsafe, that can be monotonous, that, that aren't really that highly sought after. Mm-hmm. So really, when you're bringing robotics and increased automation into a facility, you're allowing the facility and the enterprise to utilize all that talent much more effectively. So you're not going to have somebody who may have great programming skills, you know, basically counting parts or or grabbing something off the fork truck to bring it to the assembly line. You can use them in quality control. 
you can use them to run more complicated scanning equipment and measuring equipment to make sure that there's fewer recalls and there's fewer customer complaints. So really it's taking advantage of that technology and utilizing it the way it should be. And then implementing that talent that you have from all that human capital and allowing them to do more. So really, again, there's no way of saying that it won't take away some of these jobs, but I think the better way to describe that is it's transforming a lot of these positions within these facilities, again, to utilize all those skills that right now are kind of going untapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I more than agree with that. I think when technology is is used and, and leveraged properly in its, its, its proper context, it, it takes the mundane functions out of a person's job and allows people to do what people do well, and that's critically think and, and come up with creative problem solving. The tech can't come up with the, the creative problem solving, it can give you an analysis of what the data is showing, but people are, are really good at the problem solving, not necessarily the, the computer. So if we, we put each other in our, our right perspective, then we can yeah. augment and, and really leverage uh, each other's power uh, a, a whole lot more effectively for sure. Absolutely. Do you see any regions or sectors of the, the U.S. manufacturing industry that you feel are are kind of taking all, all this and, and maybe doing better than other segments of it? <clears throat> well, it's interesting. You know, we see so much going on in automotive right now, and I'll kind of step away from the big news, which is obviously the strikes and things like that. But just looking at what's going on kind of in what has been going on in the southeastern part of the country with the automotive um, aftermarket and all the production that's been going on down there, you see a lot of facilities or a lot of companies looking down south, looking at Georgia and Mississippi, South Carolina's got a huge automotive infrastructure. And that's because they're implementing a lot of this technology that not only allows them to build smarter, but also forecast better, which leads you to purchase better, which helps you to keep costs down and pay your workers well. So there's, I think automotive is definitely a place where we've seen a lot of these technologies that implements smarter manufacturing approaches really utilized very effectively. So automotive is one. I think the other one is medical. When you look at all of the medical is so different because you're not dealing with the types of quantities that you would in other sort of mass production type environments. But when you think about medical manufacturing, these are big, big companies. And what they need to be able to do is very smartly and very, very efficiently produce probably smaller quantities of certain tools or surgical implants or whatever you might be, uh, might be the case. And through technologies like 3D printing and other additive manufacturing processes, they become a lot smarter. Then you throw in some robotics and some automation and they're highly efficient to help preserve their costs. Again, pay their workers better, offer more stability within their communities and within their, their supply chains. Um, and the third one, I think that really comes to mind with that's been a little bit maybe slower in coming to the technology tables, food and beverage. But during the pandemic, a lot of those facilities really understood that they were behind when it came to automation and they've been investing very heavily. And as a result, ideally, we're getting more technology focused on safety, you know, fewer recalls, fewer people getting sick from eating bad stuff, all that kind of stuff. And it also, when we think about a lot of those checks and balances that that new technology can create. It's also about making sure that the right amount of product is being utilized. The ingredients are being sourced and, and used most effectively and eliminating waste and things like that. So I think a lot of the technology there has just made us just more efficient, which is obvious, but also eliminating some of that waste that before was just sort of a cost of doing business. 
and again, the more, the better we are at eliminating those types of things, the better it is on the plant floor, better it is for the workers and the overall enterprise. So I think those are maybe some of the bit, the leading candidates that have really grabbed onto some of the new developments from a technology perspective. Hey, innovators. Do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Gray Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Gray Tech is giving away over $1,500 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's go make a difference together. Uh, to kind of broaden out one of the uh, you know big buzzwords trends going on in the industry is all around industry 4.0 which is taking all the this tech in and really <laughs> being able to leverage that what does that entail yeah. for you and how is that helping to reshape the manufacturing industry well that's interesting in interesting because you know for a while it was the internet of things that was sort of the buzz term and now we sort of transition yeah. to industry 4.0 and, and it's cool I, I'm, I'm good with it whatever gets people excited about implementing technology and investing in it I don't care what you call it. I'm, I'm all for it. So it's great. But I think the vast majority of these things have been around for a while. Um, they're basically new iterations of different connected automation and different controls that we've just sort of, you know, to, to borrow what's the, the, the movie um, where they turn it up to 11, um, you know, all the uh, uh, basically that's what what a lot of these what's going on right now. So it's just advancing the application in terms of just using it, maybe in larger enterprises for very specific work cells. Now we're broadening how we can use a lot of this connected technology in terms of not just being more efficient in the production part of it, but also in the quality controls. And the bigger part of it where the industry 4.0, I think, dynamic really comes to play is then integrating how we can share all of the data we're capturing to make our processes that much better. So being able to see all that different information and it kind of goes back again to how we can utilize all that human capital that we have on the plant floor and all that great experience, showing them more of this information and making it more accessible allows them to make great decisions on the spot, which allows for better quality products, fewer issues, less waste, all of that. So. The way that it's really been impacting in the greatest way, I think, again, is just broadening exposure to data, which does create some challenges, but also the bigger part of that just keeps me more people in the loop and being able to contribute on a higher level in terms of what the, the end product is. Yeah, let's dive into the, the data aspect of it because there's, there's so much potential incoming data that you can yeah. just get very quickly lost in this ocean of, of waves of data just <laughs> crashing on you. How do you, as a, a manufacturer, kind of take all that and then categorize it and, and being able to, to go to the data and really be able to uh, get useful insights into it instead yeah. of just drowning in data? Yeah, you know, it's all about whatever your analogy is. Don't you know, don't try to drink the ocean, eat the elephant, whatever you want to say. <laughs> it's it's really just about understanding what's most important to you on a very basic level. What is the data you really need to make good day-to-day -day decisions? And how do you share that most effectively with those that can take that insight and apply it 
most most rapidly. So it's just starting at that baseline as opposed to, you know, one of the big investments that a lot of companies have made really over the past decade or more is a lot of ERP software because they see all the capabilities that are available and tying everything together. And, and it's amazing and it's wonderful and you should, but don't start out trying to connect everything. Let's start out with what's most important and work outward from there. Because when you try to get too, you try to narrow it down too much, you just get bogged down then with a lot of processes and you lose sight of what you're really trying to accomplish. So whenever we talk to a lot of these big automation partners or a lot of these big software providers, that's always their advice. Start with the basic stuff and work outward from there. And I think those that have, have not only become less frustrated with the process, but there's been a smoother integration and dynamic, which is the biggest concern for manufacturers when they do start implementing more software and more data-driven um, platforms is they're afraid that, hey, at the end of the day, I need to get this material put together with this material and fastened and packaged and out the door. So don't slow me down too much in the production process while we're trying to integrate all this software and, and data gathering information. And I think that's where companies have gotten a lot smarter. I think the pandemic actually helped a lot there because they could take a step back or take a breath, if you will, and just think about what is the best way to do this, not just get it in, but what makes the most sense. And in doing so, it's, it's again, starting with the basic stuff and moving from there. Mm -hmm. So this may sound like a, a, a basic, obvious question, but how should companies take that step back to be able to identify what their basics and what is most important <laughs> to them? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, it starts <clears throat> with a basic understanding of your company and your enterprise and what your goals are. And a lot of that comes from talking to people, your, your internal stakeholders. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we talk about software integration and, and data visualization, we start with the boardroom and we start with folks in purchasing or supply chain, get on the plant floor, talk to your operations people, talk to your shift managers, talk to those people that are on the line and give, let them provide input as to what they need on a daily basis to do their job better. Let's not start at the highest level. Let's start right at the ground floor. You know, one of the things with the people that I work with, they get absolutely sick of, and my wife and daughter probably do as well, is when I just talk about blocking and tackling. You know, get down to the basics. I understand we all like the Hail Marys and the 80-yard touchdown runs, but it starts up front. It starts with the stuff that may not be real pretty, but has to be solid. And in manufacturing, those are your plant floor workers. Yeah. You're singing my language there. <laughs> I see so many companies make the mistake of, of trying to implement technology to solve a problem that nobody asked to be solved. <laughs> and that's, Very it's true. not a, it's a kind of a boardroom. Yeah. They perceive it as the problem, but when you go to the field, they're like, no, I don't care about that. This is what we really yeah. need to solve. And getting those stakeholders aligned on the same page is, is critical to any technology implementation for sure. Absolutely, especially when you're spending this much money. And I think that's where a, people, a lot of people get disillusioned when they start making these investments is to your point, they tried to solve a problem that wasn't really a problem. And in the meantime, the people who need to implement and use those tools, they're going, I don't need this. I needed this. Yeah. This is what I needed. Yeah. And because the wrong really investment not was made, it. Yeah. And it just sours the whole experience. And then we get companies that really need to continue making these investments in technology, not doing it. They don't become competitive. People get disillusioned and never goes well from there. So, yeah, 
Agreed. Agreed. Uh, shifting gears a bit uh, to kind of the industrialized cybersecurity, that's becoming a, a bigger, growing concern for sure. Can you highlight some of the the latest cyber threats that manufacturers need to be aware of, and then what strategies are are most effective in in preventing and then mitigating these cyber uh, risk for the manufacturing space? You know, Todd, it's funny. I go back to again. It's a lot of blocking and tackling. It really is for a lot of these these cybersecurity issues. A lot of it, and you even go back to like Colonial Pipeline, which got so many headlines with that being shut down and ended up being a Russian, um, you know, ransomware group that, that got in there. They got in through credentials that they were able to buy from from former from basically the dark web that were probably not turned off as soon as they should have. A lot of people just not being diligent in securing their username and passwords. I mean, these are things that seem really, really simple but just are, are so prominent. I mean, how many cubicles could you walk past and see people's username and password written on a post-it note stuck on the front of their monitor? You know, these types of things happen. Um, plugging in USB devices into industrial, you know, CNC machines or, or other things like that that may have come from outside the organization. It's crazy, but it's, it still happens. So a lot of those things are really the biggest issues, especially for small and medium-sized enterprises. Lock up your credentials. Don't let any kind of foreign devices on the plant floor that could be compromised. Because bottom line is you may have the best of intentions, Todd, when you come to my facility. But if you clicked on the wrong link in a Gmail on that, on that smartphone that you're now using to access my automation platform, we're all done. <laughs> you know, So it's, it's checking a lot of right. those very simple, straightforward boxes that probably account for a, just a wide variety of issues when it comes to credentials. Um, logins. And then the other big one is obviously a lot of phishing attacks through email, people sending malicious attachments, mm -hmm. links, even, you know, to higher level management, individuals who should know a heck of a lot better not to click on stuff. They are. And that just gives these criminals an inroad. And with a connected enterprise, we're talking about IOT and industry 4.0 with everything becoming more and more connected. Through that email, I can get into your email. I can understand how to get into your network. I can steal a bunch of passwords that I can not only sell on the dark web to other people who want to get into your network, but I can use myself to shut things down or hold you for ransom. But again, a lot of those things, they're real simple. The more complex issues deal with a lot of the integrations of new technology and the connection points that in our hurry to integrate the new technology, we didn't make sure those connection points were secure. And that's where the more advanced attacks tend to happen. But vast majority, it's just trying to make things hard for the hackers. You know, and I had one I've had more than one security professional tell me they'd sure they'd rather log in than break in. I mean, if they can figure out a way to do that, that's what they're going to do. So, yeah, absolutely. So with the the rise of my my favorite uh, topic of artificial intelligence and and machine <laughs> learning, how are these technologies being harnessed to to bolster the industrial cybersecurity? Well, there's good and bad. I mean, it's like anything. There's the, when you look at artificial intelligence, especially, yeah, the bad guys can use this because it helps them to move so fast. Once they figure something out, they can plug in their AI and use that to write those phishing emails. They can use it to plug in the algorithms that they need to break in at these connection points. And they can do it so much more quickly once they figure out what the, where to attack, what the vulnerability is. They can use AI to not only morph it, to hide it, to make it different and help it evolve. The good news though, is the white, is the bad, the good guys, the white hats, we also have AI. 
And we can implement that from a security uh, perspective as well to design our own algorithms and understand that the bad guys are going to be evolving and adjusting their approach or their language and use that to set up better email security, use that to set up better um, firewalls and other type of defense mechanisms or monitoring um, to set off alerts. Hey, if we see, you know, one of the biggest things we'll see in the industrial sector is the tolerances that maybe an IT professional would look at and say, you know what, that's a spike of like a half a degree. What does that mean? On the OT side, that's huge. That's a big deal. So using AI to find those types of things that might be evidence of a hacker trying to probe your network and figure out what you're up to, that's where AI can really come in and identify really a whole new set of parameters for you to help advance your security approach. So AI, it's, it's, a, double, it's a double-edged sword. The bad guys can use it, but the good guys can too. Yeah. I like it. I like it. As we start to look at kind of landing the the plane of the conversation here. Uh, so uh, bridging the gap, a, a lot of what we talk about is some of the, the innovation happening in uh, construction industry, uh, but manufacturing has uh, so many great best practices and, and innovations that construction can look towards, especially as uh, construction and manufacturing, those lines are, are really starting to blur with yeah. prefab and uh, offsite and uh, you know the industrialization of construction coming in in your opinion what kind of key lessons can construction professionals take away from the manufacturing industry boy you know i, I think the big one and we've talked a lot about this already but it's really sort of not taking for granted a lot of that inherent talent you may already have you know on the site in the facility whatever and really giving those individuals an opportunity to grow and develop and contribute on a greater level one of the things we've struggled with in manufacturing is sort of a, a different generation entering the workforce that just approaches things from a different perspective people want to talk about them being they don't want to work as hard they're more sensitive i don't really get that i think they're just they work differently and they're motivated differently and you have to appreciate that being a part of a team and understanding what your role is and how you're contributing to the end goal is a big part of the individuals that are coming into the workforce right now. And if you want to retain quality people, that becomes just as important as paying them well. They want to be trained. They want to learn more. And I think that's something we're continuing to learn in manufacturing to retain so many of these good employees. Because right now, man, even if you're paying somebody at a factory 20 bucks an hour, they can go to Starbucks and get that too. So if you want to keep them on site and you want to keep them contributing to your organization, some of these different motivations are really important in, in retaining them. So I think that's maybe one of the biggest things that, that manufacturing is trying to get better at and maybe construction could, could learn hopefully quicker, more quickly than, than we have uh, in terms of keeping those people and addressing some of those skills gap concerns. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. One of the things that, that comes up so much, uh, I think in the you know gen z coming into the, the workforce is is wanting the sense of purpose with whatever company that they're uh they're going to work for that they, they want to feel like they're they're doing more than just their their job and their their role in that that the, the company is uh kind of being the, the the good uh global citizen kind of if you will yeah. and, and has a, a real strong calling card and, and mission that they're they're charging towards yeah, you know, Todd, I think it just kind of bleeds into the fact that as always, we've been a little bit more reactive in some of these areas and we need to be more proactive, not wait for a big customer to say, hey, what are you doing here in terms of introducing more robotics to your plant floor or 
being more reactive in terms of bringing new people into the, the enterprise, being more proactive in finding the right people, finding the right technologies and, and implementing them as, as opposed to waiting for somebody else to do it and sort of copying what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of crossover in many different ways with construction and manufacturing. <laughs> uh, one of the main pillars of the, the show here is around innovation. What does innovation mean to you? Um, I think where it starts with me is just being open-minded in terms of different ways to solve problems and not closing the door on any one thing. And I think we run into that. I think that's actually where one area where manufacturing is really good. Whenever we talk about a lot of the issues, you know, we talk a lot about skills gap, cybersecurity, all of these things, they're real. They're big challenges and they're big problems. But the legacy of U.S. manufacturing has been that's our wheelhouse. That's what we do. We figure out ways to do things better. And I think that that really starts with just there's no there may not be a, the best answer. We always want the best answer, but there's no real wrong thoughts in identifying ways to either implement a different technology, a different process is a, really a big part of it. And that just comes from being open-minded and not locking yourselves into, look, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're going to continue to do it. And we're going to try to continue to cram these, these round pegs into these square holes because this is what we are. Well, it's innovation is thinking outside of that and understanding there may be a better way to do something. You look at something like 3D printing. You ever thought you'd be 3D printing aerospace parts? You know, I mean, there are now things like military units are going to have 3D printers as part of uh, their their tank battalion, so that they can print you know new parts for for weaponry. It's it's incredible, and that doesn't come about if you don't first have the thought yeah. of what's a better way we can have this stuff right here, right now, so that we can shoot, move, communicate more quickly. So it's, I think it's innovation really starts with that thought process. Yeah, I agree. More than agree with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do people find out more information on what you have going on and connect with you? Um, yeah, you know, we got manufacturing.net is sort of our flagship. So you can go there and sign up for our daily newsletters. Check out our podcast, Today Manufacturing Podcast. We're extremely proud of that. Um, I'm also associated with uh, Manufacturing Business Technology, which is mbtmag.com, that website. And you can sign up for the Security Breach podcast there, which talks more about all these really interesting stuff we have going on uh, with cybersecurity in the industrial sector. So, And uh, you can always hit me up, um, jeff at ien.com. Well. Awesome. Very cool. Final question for you, Jeff, if I could give you all power and you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing, what would you pick to innovate? Oof. Pick to innovate. Boy. So many things flowing through my head. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind, just because maybe we've been talking about so much, <laughs> is just the, is just, again, sort of the, well, a lot of it, I think, would go back to mindset and just getting people to appreciate different ways of doing things. And I know that's not it's not like saying, hey, I want to innovate, make electric vehicles easier to build or smart uh, or uh, rare earth elements easier to source or something like that. But again, I think it just starts with that open mindset of there's a lot of different ways to solve problems and let's not just throw stuff out. So I think if we could just get past that and, and again, dealing with people society, society wide 
and just understand there's a lot of different ways of doing things and just investigate more of these processes, I think that would help solve a lot of problems. So that would be my, my approach. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining us on the the show and and opening up a a ton of different conversations i know we we didn't go super specific into uh so many things that we could have Uh so but thanks for for coming on really enjoyed the conversation hey my pleasure todd this this was great i love talking about this stuff um the crossover into the construction industry is is always really intriguing so appreciate the time and, and thanks for having me on and now it's time for my todd takes from this episode first take. Just as the construction sector grapples with overcoming a cultural perception that it's not a worthwhile industry, manufacturing faces the same challenge. Both industries must unite in their mission to shift this false narrative, ensuring that the next generation sees the value and the potential in these fields and breaks away from the age-old stereotypes. Second take. When integrated effectively, the bond between technology and human forms an incredible partnership, supercharging our workflow efficiency. This collaborative dynamic between the two shows that their combined impact is much more profound than their individual strengths. Rather than viewing automation, robotics, and technology as threats, we should see them as tools that amplify human creativity. And final take, navigating the sea of available data is paramount. To effectively harness this data, engage in conversations across all levels of your organization to pinpoint the most crucial information. This holistic understanding will prevent baseless assumptions and ensure that solutions target actual pressing issues. Thanks to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.